Hello, welcome to Feature in a Short. This is Justin Joseph Hall, owner of Four Wind Films. Today we are still locked down in COVID isolation. We don't want to have large groups together. So we're trying out new formats. Uh, just like last episode, we will be talking about the difference in assistant editing of a feature and a short film. This episode may not be for everyone, but it is for anybody who is interested in post-production, that is any assistant editor, or anybody who wants to learn more about the process or what an assistant editor might think about in post-production. If that doesn't interest you, uh, just skip to another episode. I've done plenty of assistant editing over the years, often being an independent editor. I do my own assistant editing when I edit as well. Most assistant editors, not all, but most assistant editors want to do something creative and they want to advance their career to become an editor someday. So have that discussion early on. Ask at the beginning of the project, what are you going to be involved with for being creative? Are you going to be able to make selects? Are you going to help log? Are you going to do string outs? I didn't even know that you could do this when, when I started out. I just showed up and I didn't know idea what the job was and it does vary a lot. And when I got to one and they told me I'd had to log, I was like, I can't do all of these tasks and log the footage at the same time. Let's get some interns. That was in Rock and a Hard Place and I ended up cutting a lot of different montages in the film. And that had to do with me adjusting my workflow and what was expected of me in the project. If you can add something creative to the film, tell them all of your skills. You know, I worked with a great editor who always looked, what extra skills do you have that when it comes in handy, can we use those skills? Like, do you know Photoshop? Can you color correct? Can you do motion graphics? Motion graphics is something that pops up all the time. If you like motion graphics and you want to get your hands on something creative as an assistant editor, that's a great spot to jump in always. Know the different jobs in post-production so you can experiment and, and try different things. Are you supposed to prep the audio to go to mixes? Are you going to do the onlining at the end as online editor? What's your credit going to look like? You should always discuss what your credit is going to be. If you're an assistant editor, but you're doing onlining and the final watchdowns and, and all of that stuff, should you get two credits? Sometimes yes, sometimes no, but it's a discussion that you can have and you can talk to them about. But you should always do it at the beginning of the project. And you can always re-talk to them later if they ask you to do something else and say, oh, I can do this. One time I was working as an intern, but I was doing assistant editing work. And luckily I got the credit. This was over at Market Road Films. And it was great. Uh, cool film called First to Fall with Rachel Beth Anderson. And they needed some footsteps in the snow. So one day it snowed and they all shot it on a 5D. I owned a 5D at home. At that time I was doing cinematography work and... I went out and shot some stuff, just my feet in the, in the snow with natural light. And I just asked, hey, I have this footage. You guys can use it for the scene. If you use it, I just want it to be credited as additional camera or something. And that's the credit I got. And I was very happy with it and they didn't mind. So feel free to ask if, you, if there's something extra you can contribute or you want to contribute. Always talk about it. Uh, the other thing you can always say, hey, do you want me to take a stab at cutting a trailer this weekend? Um, are you going to log? Do you want me to pull stuff for the blooper reel? E something like the blooper reel is something you can always save a bin somewhere or a sequence where you're pulling all the funny stuff, something interesting, and then at the end of the year, cut it together. It's something that people always love to see. Working on Axios on HBO, our assistant editors did that, and people had a great time watching it. So the one thing as an assistant editor that you should always think about that I got told um, early on is 
if you walked home and you got hit by a bus, as gruesome as this sounds, and you're incapacitated and can't work on the project anymore, it should be easy and they should not miss a beat to plug somebody else who knows how to do their job into your position and they can figure out exactly where you left off. One thing that I love to do as an assistant editor is to write emails, detailed accounts of what you do each day. Now I do this for two reasons. One reason is the editor can come in and look at anything. I just list, like I put this file here, I put that file here, I made selects here, I did this, I did this, and I have it coded by like bold and italics so it's easy to read. Uh, you wanna have an easy, easy to read format and it should read like a textbook. Nobody's gonna read these emails. They're very boring, very dry, just saying what I did during the day. But if they want to find something, they can find it immediately. Where on the hard drive is it? It's right here. And the other thing is, I've been called up several months, even years after I finished a project, like a year or two later. And they're like, where is this one file? I'll be like, I don't know. But if you are consistent with the way that you label files, which we'll talk about in a minute, and if you have these old emails, you can type in a file that they're telling you. This is what happened a lot is a file would be offline and they're like, well, where did you put that? And I would go back to the email. I'll be like, I put it right here. It's a very boring 15 to 30 minutes at the end of the day, but it is a written record of what you have done. And it's easy communication. Once you have a larger team, if you have interns or if you have other post-production assistants, or if you have multiple editors, it is something that they can all refer back to. And that is really important. Uh, it's not necessary, but again, it's being uh, serviceable to the team and don't type things out. Always copy and paste file names and directories. That way there's no mistake in what it's actually labeled. The other thing is you want to talk with the editor about gaining a system for ingesting and syncing. How are you going to do this? For instance, you can sync in Premiere using that multi-group function and it is much easier to online with that rather than the merge function because you can't go back to the original with the merge function. Both of them have their advantages and disadvantages. However, in Premiere, I like to use, as an editor, I like when it's a multi-group thing because I know the onlining at the end is easier. In Avid, you don't need to do the multi-group to connect the, the files together. There's a lot of different workflows. Let's talk a little bit about logging. Logging comes in handy when there's too much information in the videos that you don't have time to watch all of the raw footage in the future. So uh, for features, I would suggest logging. Uh, and some people don't like logging, some people like transcriptions a little bit more, and that's fine. If the editor or the producer don't do logging or transcriptions, it's a good idea to do it for yourself. It's helpful even if your editor says, find me a selection of these. And the way that I usually log is you think about searchable, like how would you search for this image in Google? And that's how that you're logging. Okay, if, you, if you're gonna be searching for the words that the people are saying, you're gonna write, wanna write down the exact words that they're saying, not a summary of what they're saying. In Rock and the Hard Place, we would write down every time somebody said boot camp and we would write down who said it. And sometimes we'd have descriptors, but most all of our markers, if they had speaking in it, which most of them did, they were shouting all the time, we would put the person's first and last name, quotes, we would write down the most coherent words that were available. And that way later you could search for replacement for somewhere where the audio was bad or they stuttered. So logging in detail is very good. Uh, I think logging B-roll, if you're logging B-roll, that's also important. It's a lot easier to scroll through B-roll, so I don't know if it's quite as necessary until you get a lot, a lot of B-roll. I highly suggest um, once you finish a film, if you own the B-roll and can use it somewhere else and a network doesn't own all the footage, 
logging it, even though you might not use it right now, can be worth it because you can bring it into other projects. And sometimes I do that or put all the B-roll that wasn't used in certain folders. Uh, that could be very helpful. And I suggest using color-coded markers. What um, David Manessis, the editor who I worked with on Rock and a Hard Place, and what I've done on Life on Parole and other things is lay priority markers. What are you just writing down just to note? And then what is more interesting? And what is like something that you really think is going to be in the film or is really important? Or you might want to use a color code for technical problems like uh, audio clipping or blown out picture so that an editor can visually see these differences. You can actually look at a timeline when you're done. Let's say if green is the best material in your footage, you're like, wow, look at that wave of green. What happened here? Somebody cried. Somebody's yelling at somebody. You know, there's an explosion. Whatever it might be, that's very helpful for documentary film. Now, on uh, narrative film, I don't know if logging is quite as necessary as you already have the script. You already sort of have a transcript of everything that's said. Maybe placing small items in different bins if if they're improvising or something is helpful or if there's variations. Um, But it's more grouping them in sequences that let you see the differences. And script sync is great for this. Just laying out all of the takes in one timeline so you can go through it. You can see all the reaction shots in one timeline. Again, talk to your editor uh, of what they might want for that. Once you start getting some rough scenes cut by your editor, whenever you can, preserve previous cuts and organize them well. If you're asked to go find B-roll selects of a particular subject, of reaction shots of a particular character in a room, make sure that you have it and label it. Stay consistent. Think, if I'm not going to be on this project in the future, let's say I contract COVID or whatever, and somebody else has to jump on this project, can they look at the project and find everything, including all my selects? If they do have a question about it, if the editor doesn't know where it is, and you have to explain to somebody else where to find it, are you going to have that in your head? You should be able to have an easily readable map for you and a potential person who probably doesn't think in the same way as you. So you have to make it extremely clear. Listen to feedback. If somebody can't find it once, think, how can I adjust it for this person to find it the next time? So be consistent with your labeling. Very consistent. Be almost anal retentive about it. Because let's say you're working in a larger group, because on feature film, you often are working with other people. If you are inconsistent with anything, with spaces versus underscores, with periods versus dashes, with capitalization versus non-capitalization. That leaves leeway for another person to put their variance into it. But if it's the exact, and sometimes this is annoying, and you, you, uh, if you are the lead AE on something, I think being very particular about these, these things where people can copy and paste what you do helps in the overall organization of the project. If you're going to have version numbers, if you go V.1, okay, that's great. But then you better not have more than uh, 10 versions of something. You should, I almost always do V01. And if you're going to have, expect to have 100 versions of something, you should always use three digits, V001 or V.001. However you do it, keep it consistent. Um, I don't, I tend not to like to use periods because um, the little that I do know about programming, it can indicate the end of a file. And that can cause trouble going to other systems when you export sequences. 
So I tend to stick to spaces are okay. They used to not be okay. I think they're fine now. Dashes are fine, but they used to not be. So underscores are probably the best, but I use spaces often. If you're organizing by date for whatever reason, do it year, four digits, month, two digits, day with always two digits. So 2020-04-04, that would be the 4th of April, 2020. Just if you use abbreviations, have them be consistent. In one of the things that I work on, we use three-letter codes. Keep it to three letters so you know what it is. And make sure that you have a place where people can understand what that code means for whoever needs to know what it means. All of this is very, very important to working on a team. You're always working on a team and you're always working with people who think differently than you. Many of them are creative. So as an assistant editor, you have to be the organization and the organizational voice. If there's something that is going to cause an issue with organization, you should be able to voice that. Say, this is going to cause us extra time if we don't do this. This will cost us time in the future if we don't label this properly now. So uh, that's my view on it. Some people are a lot more lax with that. I have finished a project and and handed it completely over when I was done, something that I cut and edited, and I have been told that it was the most, to somebody who's been in the industry for 20 to 40 years, they said it was the most organized project that they had seen. So I run 4Win Films by myself. I have freelancers come in all the time. I keep things consistent, and I've learned this because I've worked with so many different people from their first time getting a paid gig all the way to people who have worked for 40 years on a project. And I cannot tell you how much time it saves when you have a system that people follow when they come into the company. And take the time to talk to whoever is coming in to explain your organizational system because they will deviate always. Having a a verbal, quick conversation up front about why you're doing this and why things are labeled is important and people will understand, especially people who have been in the industry for a while. Don't worry about that. Okay, the other thing that you need to know, no matter what project you're on, if it's going to be finished properly, and I personally try not to work on anything that is not finished properly, and what do I mean by finished properly? I mean, is it going to be color corrected? Is it going to have a sound mix? Are they going to connect to the proper footage in the end for a color correction? That's the main difference is is it going to be finished correctly visually and if it is you need to know your codex on a feature or a short you need to know what you're connecting to even if it is a short film that is going to be on the internet you should still know how to upres for somebody who is going to color correct it that is what commercials do anything that you see on tv so you have to know your codex you really have to know h264 and what it means h.264 is the most common Codec used on the internet and for delivery, for sending to anybody. So understanding that codec, how, what the quality is, what the compression is like, if it's inter-frame or intra-frame compression, you can look that up on Wikipedia, no problem. Uh, If you have any questions, write me about them. Uh, And then know the cameras. Wikipedia has everything. They have absolutely everything. And if they don't yet, because it's a brand new camera, go to the camera's website. They definitely have it. There's no doubt that you can find compression details for everything. So what you need to know is what is the most high quality codec in the process? Are you uprising when you're going to your to your new codec as people did with DV footage from DV tapes? You would go up to ProRes or ProRes HQ? Or is your camera 
shooting at 4K and you're editing it in, in 1080p. So it's not just the codec, it's also the resolution, okay? They're two different things. And if you don't know the difference, again, write me at justin.joseph.hall at 4winfilms.com. Hit us up on social media. We're happy to answer these questions. So preparing for turnovers. We're not going to go all the way through turnovers. We're just going to cover the audio for the most part here, but also preparing for an online editor to come on. Organizing audio tracks. You want to have some kind of organization to your audio tracks. You do not want to to have the least amount of tracks as possible when you're turning it over. You want to have them organized because the only thing that your audio person is going to do is organize them once they're on their end. And the more organized that you can be is, I would always practice on try mixing something. They separate audio tracks per mic per voice. You do not need to separate it out for each voice, okay? But you should separate it. This is dialogue. This is voiceover. These are sound effects. This is music at least have those four categories in your head. So I usually keep dialogue on top. Some people keep the voiceover on top, but I usually do dialogue or camera audio. The other issue is that they'll put the shotgun on track two sometimes and sometimes on track one. If you can keep all the shotgun on the same track, that's going to help immensely. It's going to be very clear what the audio tracks are. As an assistant editor, you should be having those conversations with the camera people with production ahead of time. If you can label the tracks what they are, no matter how you group them, that's great. If you're working in Avid on a feature film, everything that you label in Avid, so if you're in, in Media Composer, export an AAF, and it goes to Pro Tools, it's all going to be labeled. And in Premiere, for a short film, it might you might not have that. But if you keep the organization and tell them afterwards, hey, our dialogue tracks are 1 through 6, our voiceover tracks is 7, sound effects are 8, 9, 10, music is 11, 12, 13, are you going to be mixing in Avid or Premiere? If you are and you're not going to be exporting, you should still organize by these tracks. Maybe you're going to need to separate it by microphone because often you do an equalizer per microphone. You do different compressions for each person or different sound effects, all of these things. To prepare for color for any online colorist that's coming on, often editors will edit on multiple tracks, at least have you know track one for whatever and track two for B-roll. So what you want to do is collapse everything down. All of your video tracks, you do not want to have anything that you are not actually seeing on screen in your edit. You also want to have the least amount of tracks as possible going to color. If you're going to bring it to, if you're staying in Premiere, let's say to color, which is an okay coloring system, not great. But often you're going to Resolve or Nucoda or these other coloring systems, okay? So what you want to do is collapse what's called collapsing all of the video onto the least amount of tracks as possible. So only the video that is visible is there. Then you want to have graphics on the same track because you often will be replacing graphics and to be able to find them quickly, you want to have them there. You'll often want to make duplicate anything that's not going to color correction. Again, most usually graphics. Sometimes I have color corrected graphics to get them a certain tint or to adjust something or make it look like the movie or to get it into legal specs. But for the most part, you don't turn over graphics for finishing a video. So you also want to mark if there are video effects in the editing program on something, a resize, anything like that. It's very easy to see in Avid, but I recommend going through, putting them on a separate track or what you can do is mark them with a marker. And this is to make sure that you see this in the color correction. Sometimes you'll bring this over into Resolve. Some of the effects work 
over in other programs and some of them don't. So you have to double check these in the final process of rechecking the video. Often what you'll do is after all the finishing is done, you'll get it back, put it over your old timeline and put it at 50% opacity or some people do stripes or there's checkers. And you just wanna go through the whole timeline, maybe watch the whole timeline if you have enough time and for a feature film, you definitely better make time to do this and see that everything lines up with your original cut and nothing has changed because it's your job preparing for the finish and if you are doing final watch downs to make sure that everything is accurate that has been approved by the editor, the director, the executive producer, the producer, everybody who's above you. And that's your responsibility. If there's something off, you should catch it and fix it. And this is being organized is one way to do this. Okay. And the other thing that you want to do to end it is export a reference cut. And you probably want to do that before you organize the tracks in case you make a mistake when organizing the tracks. That way you can step back. But for preparing for anything, your last cut that's approved, make sure you archive that, make sure that you have an appropriate mix down if you're an Avid or re-import it and put it as a mix down on top. You want to have that reference of what the film is supposed to look like before it is quote unquote finished. So thank you. That is our advice for assistant editing a feature versus a short. Again, this is Justin Joseph Hall. Uh, Hopefully this was informative. And our forecast to look forward to our short film that we created called Abuela's Luck is on HBO Max streaming now. It is under 10 minutes. It has got excellent reviews. Just check out the reviews on Letterboxd. Let me just read one of them here right now. All right, this one's by Khalid Hussein, who said, one of the best shorts I've ever seen. No cap. It's got heart, soul, and swagger for days. Currently on HBO, and if you can't trust the network that brought you The Wire, then I don't know what more I could say. So we're very proud of that short. Thank you for the, for the fantastic review. And if you guys have any thoughts on any of our films, on this episode, on where we're going during this COVID time, please write us up. I would like to thank Brian Trahan for mixing this. You're listening to Kevin McLeod's song, Loopster, our theme song this year. Thank you to IncomeTech.com for that. And any additional music is Brian Trahan's music, our, our sound mixer. So check out his stuff. And I just want to give a shout out quickly uh, after our Black Media Matters episode. One person that I do want to shout out to whose media is amazing. And I love him. If you guys like music, folk music like Damien Rice, I would say Ray LaMontagne, artists like that. I suggest listening to Gabriel Mayers. He's a friend of mine. We started, we did a documentary on him for Eventbrite and uh, we're looking to possibly do a, a verite documentary following him around the city. But his name is Gabriel Mayers. You can check out his stuff at gabrielmayers.com. Uh, so Black Media Matters. Uh, Pay attention to what you're watching and what you're listening to. Thank you. And I will talk at you in the near future.